We continue our series this morning on Jesus said words that bring us life, words that bring us hope. And um, these are snapshots for those of you who weren't here last week. That's why we have the picture frames. It's one of the, one of the hopes as we think about um, these parables from the book of Matthew over the course of the next couple of weeks that we're getting snapshot pictures Images that get seared into us and remind us what the kingdom looks like. What it is that Christ is speaking to his people. Christ is speaking to them so that they might live into that and see that kingdom grow. That's what our hope is over the course of this Advent series is to give you those little glimpses. And serendipitously, I believe God has given us an image this morning of his grace, of his irrational generosity in a way that can give us some life, give us encouragement, give us some hope, give us something to do in this world that we might see things get better. This morning's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. It's a little intimidating coming up past a guy who's dressed better than you are. (laughs) Looking good, Brady. 
I write my sermons on Thursday, obviously Wednesday happened. And we've had this sermon series planned for a few months, and so then the question became, do I change what I preach? I'm sure many preachers did so this morning. And as I was looking at this text, I'm sure that there are many of you who would not say if a preacher wants to talk about this week, that he would probably not automatically jump to this text to preach about it. Perhaps we would pursue a a passage of hope or a passage of God's power. In some contexts, I'm sure that there would be preachers who would preach about God's judgment and his protection. But uh, in sitting at my desk and praying through it and just reflecting on it a little bit, really felt like there is a message here. Because it's not simply a message where we receive a message of um, hope or encouragement or that God is our protector or that God is the judge. But instead, it gives us some direction. And I don't know about you, but I need some direction. I, I, I feel powerless. I feel like all these things are too big, right? How do you stop this? Do we have gun control dialogue? I believe we do. Yes. I know that that's a, a heavy-duty thing in a lot of your minds. Okay. But we're going to talk about it. We're not going to yell and scream at each other and just post ridiculous articles on each other's Facebook walls. We're going to actually have a constructive dialogue if we're going to talk about it. I think we need to talk about what it means to have effective interfaith dialogue. I think we need it. I think that we need to talk at length about mental illness and what place there is in the world for us talking about how we care for those who are mentally ill. I I think that we need to talk about what it means for us to be a community of understanding and a community that knows each other, a community that, 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 that loves each other. Yeah, but that, a lot of those things are just big things. Those are Washington things, those are Sacramento things, those are city hall things. And yeah, I can contribute, but what can I do? What is it for me? What is it for us right now to walk out of this place and be able to say, this is what we can do. We did some of that on Thursday morning here. We've done some of that this morning. We can be people, we should be people of prayer who gather and and pound at the gates of heaven, break down the gates of hell. But I want to do more. What do I do? What can I do? We look at this parable of workers in a field. And we see how God and Jesus shows us how God treats his people. And I think it gives us an idea of what we can do. I think it gives us an image of how we can live into something that can contribute 
to this solution. I am fairly certain we'll, I know, we're not going to see a full and complete solution this side of heaven. But at least for us to see things get better. I think that God gives us this image of irrational generosity in the text. It gives us something to do with our lives right here and now. Now, this parable from Matthew chapter 21 to 16 would be, it wouldn't have been well received. This is not one of those ones where people would have gone home from teaching that day going, boy, preacher really had it going today. They, they probably wouldn't have thought to themselves, boy, I really grab onto and get that one. That, that speaks to my heart and speaks to me. This is one of those texts, one of those stories, one of those parables that would not have been received. Because although someone may not have been a Pharisee, because to a Pharisee's uh, mindset, this would have been insulting. That certainly was a dogma that was held by many or at least thought of by many in high regard. And the presence of the Pharisees when Jesus taught suggests that. These are people who are sort of the, re- the religious elite. These are the people that others look up to, even in Galilee, certainly in Jerusalem. These are the people that you sort of say, oh, what does he think of that? What does he think of Jesus' teaching? Because I want to hear his opinion. It is value. And that whole mindset of the Pharisees is about obedience. And we give the Pharisees a bad rap. But these, these guys, and men, were, they were solid. I have a feeling that many of you would have aligned yourself with the Pharisees of the day. I, I don't know that I wouldn't. These are folks who are seeking to obey God in all they do. Obedience to God's law. They saw what happened in the Old Testament before the exile. They saw that God judged the people of Israel. Why? Because they were disobedient. They didn't care for others. They didn't obey God's law. They forgot the cleanliness laws. They forgot the Sabbath observance. They forgot all that stuff. And as a result of them forgetting, God said, you have not acted like my people and I will judge you so that you are reminded that you are my people and I am your God. So he sends them off into exile. And the Pharisees look at history and say, that was bad. We would prefer to live our lives in Jerusalem and in Israel and not Babylon, not Syria. We want to be here. So how do we do that? We live obediently. So you got an entire dogma, an entire belief system, system, an entire culture that is based upon being obedient. And into that culture, Jesus tells this parable. It would have been an affront to them and it would challenge that view, their view, in some pretty big ways. Imagine you're a Pharisee hearing this story. Look at what Paul says about himself. In obedience to the law, I am blameless. All the things are right. I have the things lined up. I'm born into the right tribe. I'm a pure Israelite. I've got all this stuff together. 
I'm an early in the morning worker, Jesus. I am a sun up. You come into the square, get your workers for the day. I'm that guy. I'm the person that you can depend on. I'm the person you can give responsibility to, Jesus. And at the end of the day, I expect reward. I've been good. I've been a good Jew. And now you're telling me that other people are going to have the same reward I do? That's ridiculous. I've done all right. It's all been, it's, it's been in line. I did what you wanted me to do. And they get what I get? Doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem fair. The grace of God here doesn't fit human perspective. It is irrationally generous. And if we think about that long enough, it gets to be uncomfortable. You want me to help you into that discomfort? Let me simply ask you this statement Who should receive grace? Tell me. All of us? Everyone? None of us? We start to go through the list. Well, this this group of people, well, they should receive grace. This group of people, they should receive grace. This group of people, they should receive grace. All of us? Or none of us? Syed? Or Tashveen? How do we feel about that? Oh, goodness. You can see why I've been uncomfortable all week thinking about this message. How does grace work? How, does, how do we imagine God? It's irrationally generous. It says, if you come at the end of the day, you get the same as the person at the beginning of the day. You get, if you have been imperfect, if you have been without Jesus until the deathbed, you get the same reward as the person who in faith as a child committed their lives to follow Jesus and went to be a missionary all over the world suffering, taking, taking all the, the struggle of that burden upon them. You're telling me that that's the same reward. And the kingdom of God says yes. And makes this really uncomfortable because when we look around at the world, yeah, we can, in a a platitude or good theology, say everyone gets grace. But when it gets to have a face on it, when it gets to be a person, then it gets harder. So, I want to give you a for instance. This is going to be hard for you. Tashveen, I think that's her name, and I don't really care, actually, but the woman. One of her people in her apartment building gave her a tract. This is a for instance. This is not a for real, to my knowledge. 
Gave her a tract, a tract, one of those tracts that you get sometimes on your doorstep or wherever. And it's a way to salvation. And she puts it in the suburban. She forgets about it. And they're driving away from their house over on Center Street. And they're trying to get away from the police that are pursuing them. And she starts to get scared. And she starts to get fearful. And she hears the bullets fly. And she sees the tract and she looks at the tract and she reads the tract and she believes the tract what do we do with that does she get grace two hours before she did what she did right now I don't believe that that happened could have but does that person at the end of the work day get the exact same reward as you and I That's when this gets harder, right? That's when this gets into the world that we are uncomfortable with, where your preacher stands up here with his heart racing at 130 beats per minute because the whole message freaks him out. That's what grace is at its purest form. And certainly we can see it from that perspective and the world sees it from that perspective and it seems unfair that if that were to have happened on the San Bernardino Avenue, just inside the city limits of San Bernardino, if that would have happened, that that person would receive the grace of Jesus. That's an affront to the world's idea of how this should work. But it's not an affront to God. In this text, we read, yeah, we can read all about financial generosity, how generous God is. We should hold on to everything we have loosely. But much more so, we need to hear that God chose to give his love and grace irrationally and that we're to do the same thing. And that's where this gets hard. That's why I stood in front of the sacramental table and told you that this way is a harder way because it's an individual way. It's an individual way that you and I carry with us this body and blood of Jesus into the world, into our neighborhoods, onto center and pine. And we carry that and we carry it in a way that can transform the world that we live in. I don't know about you, but on, Saturday, on Wednesday night, my, my day was very much like all of yours, hectic, crazy. Kristen actually texted me very early on. She knew about some stuff very early on because of different reasons. And so she, she texted me, and we knew in the office, and we jumped onto things, uh, hearing on the radio and on the internet. And then over the course of the day, different stuff happened and you're getting new reports and checking in with people and people are checking in with us. I instantly let my family knew all over the place just to, for them to know because that inevitably happens. If there is uh, you know, a landslide over in Pasadena, I get a phone call from my father because he believes that's my house being crushed underneath it. So immediately it did the preemptive strike of, hey, we're okay, everything's fine. And the whole day, we're updating that. Kristen is updating that text with new information, new stuff that's happening, the chase, the shootout, the apartment building over here being um, approached by the police. But Cameron has a game. 
She has a basketball game down in Temecula. And it's my turn to do the game. Kristen was doing something at home. I got to go to the game. I go to the game. I drive to the game. I'm there with some people from our church and our community. And we're getting text messages the whole time. And all I can think the whole time the game is going on is, I need to get home. I need to get home. I need to get home. I need to be home with my family. I've got to close the doors. We're going to set Kobe and Shadow up and say, guys, you're in charge. Keep an eye on things. Because that's one of those emotions, right? People didn't send their kids to school on Thursday. Why? We want to keep everyone safe. We want to keep a protective circle around us. We need to lock the doors during worship because there's enough people gathered that someone might think that this is a place that's worthy of an attack. We get those emotions. Or we get the other one. Maybe you had this one. I heard dark SUV. And my thought was, I'm going over to Vaughn's house. I'm going to ask him for one of his extra guns. And I'm going to start driving around looking for that black SUV. I'm going to find me someone guilty. And I'm going to make it right. We have this whole series of emotions in things like this and it can consume us. And in all of that, all of a sudden, the still small voice of God comes in and says, where am I in all this? We sang Silent Night. I don't know about you, but in many ways, Wednesday for me was a silent night. Just trying to listen. God, what? is it that you want us to do as your people to live into this craziness, this insanity? What is it that we're to do? Because I just want to keep myself and my family and my people safe. Or I want to go out and give somebody what for? Because I'm so angry and I'm so hurting. But I know you want us to do something else. What is it that you want us to do? What is it that you would have us do? Isolation? Violence? And Jesus says grace. Go and live into grace. Go and live in love. It's a better weapon than an AK-47. This is more powerful than a pipe bomb. This changes the world. That just causes harm and ends life. This changes the world. Christ, that he would use this worker image to describe grace, even brings it more power. Grace is not about human time or human effort, but this is about God's will and God's glory. And for us to see grace from the negative of, wait, someone else, if they accept Jesus at the last split second of life, that they would receive what I have received, we can look at it from that negative side, or we can look at it from the positive side. George, you said it earlier. Who deserves grace? None of us. 
And for us to see that grace is not dependent on human time or effort. And us, for us to look in the mirror and in the mirror see a person who is unworthy of God's grace. Who shouldn't have it. Who should be stuck in the doldrums of their sin and their death and their brokenness. And we look in that mirror and God, for whatever reason, according to his will and according to his glory, looks at us and he says, I want you. I praise God for that. But then for me to take the next step and say, and who else does he offer that to as well? And add to that the fact that now he's called me to be the one to show it to them. So if that's the case for us to live into an activity, a lifestyle, an existence that with all of our lives proclaims the potential of grace in the world around us just in the same way that God looked at us and looked beyond our sin and saw something that he for his glory chose to be a part of himself that I am willing that I am capable as much as I am able through the power of the Holy Spirit to look into the world that God has given me around me and say, and I'm going to try to do that too. In Christ, God is inclusive. Israel needed that. God's love moves beyond what they could accomplish and opens the door to new life with God and that new life is equal for all. God did that for us and now for us to do this in the lives of others. We need this unequal pay too. You and I need this. How many of you have messed up this week? Put up your hands, folks. I know some of you, some of you have emailed me and said, I don't like to put up my hand, but I'm putting up my hand in your mind. Okay, fine. Put up your mind hand then. Put up your head hand. All right? Okay, I'll give you that. But put up your hand. Because you and I are desperately in need of this grace. We are not, hear me here, the early morning sunrise worker. We're not the one who shows up ready to go, take on the full responsibility at the beginning of the day and expect more than a denarius at the end of the story. All of us, in our own unique way, is the last worker hired. We are the one at the tail end who doesn't get what we deserve. We get so much more. And now for us to see the world that way too. God is a good father. And we can trust in what he has planned. But part of what he has planned in our lives is for us to be that irrationally generous grace to the world around us in a way that carries some power to change the world that just seems nuts. That's what God has given us. That's part of his plan. And you can't say, wait, that's part of your plan. 
That's not part of mine. Mine is protection. Mine is isolation. Mine is safe place. Nowhere in scripture can you prove to me that God has called us to live in a safe place where we do not proclaim love and grace in an irrationally generous way to the world. You cannot find it because it ain't there. All that we are called to do is be proclaimers of the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God snapshot says God's love and grace is irrationally generous. Go and do likewise. Go to your neighbor. The neighbor that you feel a little bit caution about. You feel a little bit of questions about. Maybe you wonder what's going on over there. It can be a lifestyle choice. It can be a difference in ethnicity or cultural background. It can be a difference in what they think politically. It can be a difference in anything, everything, sexual orientation. But for you and I to look at that neighbor... And to see that God's love is irrationally generous. God's grace is irrationally generous. And he might just be extending it to that person. And he tells me to bring it to them in a way that they can hear it. And perhaps for the very first time, understand it and accept it. Sounds like an easy task, doesn't it? That's why this is hard. And yet the beautiful part of it. This stuff is fuel. You have received the sacrament today. You have been fueled. You got a full tank. Maybe you won't next Sunday. We'll see. Come on back. We'll give you more. But you got a full tank to go out and be love and grace to the world. And as you and I be that love and grace to the world, that's what's going to change. I got to stop yelling. Sorry. I... We are called by God to do this. And we are equipped by his spirit promised in this sacrament. He is with us. He has empowered us through the spirit to go and live that out. Go do it. And when we do it, the kingdom does grow. What if? What if this happens? You know, it's striking. There was a Facebook thing this week. And again, I don't advocate Facebook. It's just a bad thing most of the time. But I saw this Facebook thing. My Redlands, some of you wrote it on there. And believe me, I'm not begrudging you. I'm 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 not putting this down. But I think we also need to insert, there were a bunch of people who put comments. My Redlands is, my Redlands is a place of warmth, a place where kids can play in the street, a place that comes together for music in the summer. It comes, it's a place where you can walk down, down, downtown on Thursday night and you can see a lot of people. And it's a place where last night you can go and watch a Santa Claus parade. And it's a place where terrorists live. It's a place where evil happens. And it's a place where violence comes. And it's a place where people hate. But what if you and I bring more Jesus? What if you actually, as we talked about before, go to your neighbor 
when they're out walking their dog and you talk to them for 10 minutes and show love and compassion and engagement and at the end you give them a hug. Or you might even, if you get to know them long enough, say those crazy words, I love you. What if the people on Center and Pine had heard more people around them tell them, I love you? What if, what if we go out and find people that are unlike us? People who don't look like us, believe like us, vote like us, show love like us. And we build relationship with them in a way that shows the irrational generosity of the grace and the love of Jesus. And we actually go and we share with them life. Yes, maybe, sometime, somehow, if the door opens, we share the, the, the truth of salvation. We open up the Bible. Yes, if that happens, God be praised. Do it. But sometimes it's just sitting out front and talking about how bad the lake are so be it go do it and then at the end shake a hand and say it's been good to talk to you I hope you have a great Christmas season I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you and maybe if you do that enough times you can get to that point of saying I love you what if that happens I don't know But all I know is that gun reform, even if it happens, isn't going to fix anything for probably 10 years. Politically, it's going to take that long. We know that, right? No matter what, it's going to take at least a decade for things to get changed. Even if things were decided today, politically, it's going to take that long. It's going to take that long to figure out how to help with mental illness easily. It's going to take that long to have healthy interfaith dialogues. It's going to take that long to figure out for ways (coughs) for us to find people who might do this, to diagnose this and address it as a society or politically or whatever. But I know that today, this afternoon, I can go across my street to the neighbor who's not walking the dog and I can talk to him today, right now. Ten minutes after I get home from church. I can do that today. And if that's today, I don't have to wait ten years for my world to change. And yes, I know it's a small thing, but what else have we got? We've got this. Take it. Carry it. Let's bring it and share it and then see what happens. None of these other things have worked. This has over and over in the world. This has brought peace. This has brought life. This has brought hope. This has brought change and transformation into darkness, into cultures, into places, into violence. It has brought hope and peace and redemption and purpose. Let's carry it and see what happens. And yeah, you're going to say, but that's only in this part of the world. If this part of the world changes, God be praised. His kingdom grows. Take a picture. Put it in the picture frame. Yes. It's bigger. But our God is bigger. And I believe very much so that he is creating a movement out of this stuff to change the world through love and grace in an irrationally generous way. And all I can do is participate as much as I am able and as much as he need me, leads me. Would you pray with me? 
Father, I pray that as we walk from this place, that we've got something. And all the big political dialogue and all the questions, all the things that have to be asked and answered, Lord, make your way known, show your wisdom, lead according to your spirit. But we know, Father, that that is a long process fraught with politics and rhetoric. But we know your gospel is not, and we can live out your good news to the people in our neighborhood, the people in our workplace, people in our families, people on soccer teams, people in our classrooms, people that we run into. These are things that we can do, and we trust, Father, that you will multiply that. You are the God of miracles. You are the God of power. Come, take what it is that we offer and grow your kingdom with your grace. It doesn't make sense, Lord, but we trust and believe that it makes sense to you. Because it makes sense to you, it will be beautiful. Father, may we pursue your beauty in your kingdom today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.